Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Beyond Babel and is for Pentecost Sunday and is based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, May the 27th, 2007. In 1951, when the linguist Richard Pittman produced a mimeograph list of the known languages of the world, his ethnologue, as he called it, identified 46 languages. Today, the massive 15th edition of Ethnologue documents, documents 7,299 known languages including 103 languages previously unidentified in the 14th edition that was published in the year 2000. The Ethnologue has distinguished itself as the best single source of information about all the known languages of the world, including, for example, 497 languages threatened with so-called language death because they have fewer than 50 speakers. Language is fascinating, but language can also be lethal. Throughout history, people have subjugated one another because of language. In the Old Testament, for example, the Gileadites slaughtered 42,000 Ephraimites when the latter were exposed as the enemy because they incorrectly pronounced the word shibboleth as sibboleth. You can read about that in Judges, chapter 12. The orphan Moses learned Egyptian and its many customs, while the Babylonian exile Daniel and his three friends were not only re-educated in a new language, in a new literature, but also given new names. In the former Soviet Union where I used to live, a country that used to be comprised of hundreds of ethno-linguistic groups in 11 time zones from east to west, the government stripped people of their ethnic identities by forcing everyone to speak Russian. But today, the shoe's on the other foot, and ethnic Russians who live in the former republics are sometimes forced to speak languages like Lithuanian or Latvian in school. I once remember a hotel worker in Helsinki who remarked to me with pride how although Sweden had dominated Finland for 700 years, quote, they could never take our language, end quote. Your accent can betray you, and identifying a person's regional dialect suggests a number of things about them. Having grown up in the South, I can distinguish between redneck slang and an aristocratic drawl. Seminary in Chicago acquainted me with the Midwestern twang. Then grad school in New Jersey introduced me to nasal Northeastern. In the men's room at the County Line Barbecue restaurant in San Antonio's Riverwalk, I once heard a hilarious soundtrack called How to Talk Texan. And here in California, we've had fierce linguistic, public policy, and educational debates over ebonics, and whether ebonics is a desecration of standard English or an affirmation of cultural identity.
Language has divided Christians too. Among the earliest followers of Jesus, strife emerged between Greek-speaking Jews who complained that the Aramaic-speaking Jews overlooked their widows in the distribution of food. Acts chapter 6. A thousand years later, the Latin-speaking Catholic West and the mainly Greek-speaking Orthodox East divided in the schism of 1054. During the Protestant Reformation, the Catholic Church banned translations of the Bible into the everyday vernacular of the common laity. And so, given the volatile dynamics of language, it's remarkable that in the transition from the earthly days of Jesus to the age of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the Church, God featured human language, one of humanity's most salient and divisive characteristics, to symbolize his kingdom community. In the book of Acts for this week, Luke describes that first Pentecost, which Pentecost believers celebrate this Sunday as they have for two millennia. The, ther the term Pentecost comes from the Greek word Pentecostos, meaning 50th, from which one of the most important feasts in the Jewish calendar derives its name. In Judaism, 50 days after the Passover, the Jews celebrate the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks. Centuries later, after their exile to Babylon, the Jewish Pentecost became one of the great pilgrimage feasts of Judaism when Diaspora Jews returned to Jerusalem for worship. Since about the second century, Christians have celebrated the coming of the Holy Spirit 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus on the Jewish Feast of Pentecost and with the descent of the Spirit, the birth of the Church. After Christmas and Easter, Pentecost marks the most important celebration of the Christian calendar. In Acts chapter 2, Luke describes God-fearing Jews from every nation of the world, as he puts it, as having converged upon Jerusalem for Pentecost. His text specifies at least 15 ethno-linguistic groups who were present. Jesus had instructed his followers not to leave Jerusalem until they had received the Spirit whom he had promised. In Luke's narrative, a small band of 120 followers of Jesus were, quote-unquote, constantly in prayer, Acts 1.14, in an upper room. Suddenly, the sounds of violent winds and the visions of tongues of fire fell upon them. And we read that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. In the miracle of speaking, or perhaps a miracle of hearing, each one heard them speaking in his own language. How is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Whatever speaking in tongues might mean, on this occasion at least, it involved known languages. Some people in the crowd ridiculed the believers as drunk. 
But Peter explained that at a momentous time had arrived in the history of salvation, a time when God was now calling not only Jews, but quote-unquote all people, Acts 2.17, to a full life in the Spirit. And at its best, this new community of the Spirit celebrates, incorporates, and then transcends barriers of race, social stratification, economics, ethnicity, gender, and yes, even language. Diversity without division, unity without uniformity, ought to characterize the new community of the Spirit of Jesus. Pentecost and the birth of the new unified but diverse Jesus community thus reverses the curse of the Tower of Babel, about which we read in Genesis chapter 11. In those first pages of the Bible, language divided humanity in a cacophony of confusion. But in the last pages of the Bible, the new community that began at Pentecost culminates in a linguistic extravaganza, according to Revelation 7 verse 9, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. In that heavenly vision, all 7,299 known language groups of the ethnologue will complete the unity of all humanity rather than destroy it. In one of the most widely used hymns of the church, Veni Creator Spiritus, attributed to the German Benedictine monk and priest Rabanus Morris, who lived in the ninth century, Christians around the world have prayed, Come, Creator Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, Creator blessed, and in our souls take up thy rest. Come with thy grace and heavenly aid to fill the hearts which thou hast made. O Comforter, to thee we cry, O heavenly gift of God most high, O fount of life and fire of love, and sweet anointing from above. Thou in thy sevenfold gifts are known, Thou finger of God's hand we own, Thou promise of the Father, Thou who dost the tongue with power imbue. Kindle our sense from above, And make our hearts o'erflow with love, With patience firm and virtue high, The weakness of our flesh supply. Far from us drive the foe we dread, and grant us peace from you instead. So shall we not with thee for guide turn from the path of life aside. O oh, may thy grace on us bestow the Father and the Son to know, and thee through endless times confess of both the eternal spirit blessed. Now to the Father and the Son, who rose from death, be glory given.
with thou a holy comforter henceforth by all in earth and heaven. Any time is a good time to pray that prayer, come creator spirit, but no time perhaps is more appropriate than this Sunday in the celebration of Pentecost. And now for further reflection. What have been your experiences of linguistic diversity, whether positive or negative? Number two, do you think Pentecost was a miracle of speaking or maybe a miracle of hearing and understanding? Number three, consider the gift of the Spirit as the gift of truly hearing and understanding each other in contrast to speaking to each other. Number four, according to the United Bible Societies, there are now over 2,370 languages in which at least one book of the Bible has been published. That's far short of the 7,300 languages of the ethnologue, but it's still enough to include the primary means of communication of over 90% of the world's population. And finally, you might want to view the remarkable film Babel, the title of which, of course, comes from Genesis chapter 11. For books this week, I review Bill McKibben, Deep Economy, The Wealth of Communities and the Durable Future, New York Times Books, 2007, 261 pages. In this, his newest book, Bill McKibben argues for the heretical notion that more is not better. In fact, he says, more has become unstainable and is generating gross inequalities and insecurities, both among individuals and entire nations. He thus proposes what he calls, quote, a quiet revolution begun by ordinary people with the stuff of our daily lives, end quote, beginning with our everyday habits and our way of viewing the world. McKibben's favorite metaphor for this radical change is your local farmer's market. Its antithesis is Walmart, or perhaps the television show Survivor, the goal of which is to end up alone on the island, to manipulate and scheme until everyone goes away and leaves you by yourself with your money. Free market capitalism has been based upon the premise and goal of unlimited growth by any means and at all costs. Growth as both a means and an end, so goes this gospel, is good. But unsustained growth now faces three huge problems, according to McKibben. Politically, unrestrained growth is producing more inequality than prosperity more insecurity than progress. Economically, unrestrained growth is unsustainable at present levels, especially if and when China and India consume coal, oil, natural gas in their products like Americans do. 
China, for example, is adding the equivalent of California to their electric grid every year. Global warming, species extinction, and resource depletion are all now a matter of scientific record, and the Earth simply can't sustain much more of it. McKibben's third observation is less obvious and even more basic. Growth, he says, is no longer making us happy. Our houses, to take but one example, are bigger than ever with fewer people living than them and with less sense of community than ever. An observation which reminded me of Robert Putnam's book, Bowling Alone. Beyond economics and environmentalism, McKibben's real concern is our isolating affluence and our hyper-individualism. He would move us to the true wealth of durable communities that not only care for the earth, but care for each other. Along the way, he illumines his research with personal anecdotes about the power of localized economies, advertisement, energy, public transportation, local radio, community-supported agricultural, third-world development, and housing. Such is what he calls the economics of neighborliness. In one chapter, he describes his effort to eat only locally grown food for one whole year, no mean feat in his home state of Vermont. If it bothers you that three-quarters of Americans say they don't know their neighbors, or that Walmart is now the largest seller of food in the country, and that the world produces more food more cheaply than ever, and yet half the world goes to bed hungry, then read Bill McKibben. Look in the mirror and make a few small changes to discover how less can lead to more. Bill McKibben, Deep Economy, The Wealth of Communities and the Durable Future. For film this week, I review Stranger Than Fiction from the year 2006. Harold Crick, played by Will Ferrell, is a compulsively ordered and very lonely person. He's ruled by numbers, which makes sense because he's an IRS auditor. He brushes his teeth the same number of strokes each day and knows exactly how many steps that he walks to the bus stop. A narrator voiceover gives us a running commentary, and soon we realize that the narrator is in fact Kay Eiffel, a novelist who is writing the story of Harold's life and struggling to end the novel and Crick's life in a fitting way. Crick's real life is the plot of her novel. Harold also starts to hear Eiffel's voices in his head, and so he discovers that his life is unfinished, but awaits her literary decisions as well as his own personal choices. As his life approaches death, Harold also falls for a delightfully quirky woman named Anna, who is his opposite. She sports tattoos and dropped out of Harvard Law School because she wanted to open a bakery. 
This is a clever comedy that also stars Dustin Hoffman as a literature professor who functions as Crick's therapist, quote-unquote, to figure out the narrative plot of his life and the likely choices that the author Eiffel might make. Queen Latifah also stars as the novelist's assistant. This is a great comedy, love story, and poignant consideration of the story that every person must live. Stranger Than Fiction. And finally, for Pentecost Sunday, we've posted the poem Veni Creator Spiritus by John Dryden. John Dryden lived from 1631 to 1700. He was an English poet, literary critic, translator, and playwright. John Dryden is buried in Westminster Abbey. Creator spirit by whose aid the world's foundations first were laid. Come, visit every pious mind. Come, pour thy joys on humankind. From sin and sorrow set us free and make thy temples worthy thee. O source of uncreated light, the Father's promised paraclete, thrice holy fount, thrice holy fire, our hearts with heavenly love inspire. Come and thy sacred unction bring to sanctify us while we sing. Plenteous of grace, descend from high, rich in thy sevenfold energy. Thou strength of his almighty hand, whose power does heaven and earth command. Proceeding spirit our defense, who dost thy gift of tongues dispense, and crown thy gift with eloquence. Refine and purge our earthly parts, but oh, inflame and fire our hearts. Our frailties help, our vice control. Submit the senses to the soul, and when rebellious they are grown, then lay thy hand and hold them down. Chase from our minds the eternal foe, in peace the fruit of love bestow and lest our feet should step astray protect and guide us in the way make us eternal truths receive and practice all that we believe give us thyself that we may see the father and the son by thee immortal honor endless fame Attend the Almighty Father's name. The Savior Son be glorified, who for lost man's redemption died. In equal adoration be, eternal paraclete to thee. John Dryden, Veni Creator Spiritus. Thank you for joining us on Pentecost Sunday, May 27th. 2007. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.